This is a CJSR podcast. Volunteer powered. Listener supported. Campus and community. Radio. Podcast. Podcast. Radio. Radio and and podcast. (laughs) One of the things I'd like to see would be more of a connection of the consumer with the producer. And in a perfect world, just more producers. My name is Melania Antoshko, and you're listening to That's Food. That's Food is a podcast from CGSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station, handmade with love by University of Alberta students and community members, telling the backstory to food in Edmonton, one meal at a time. Where does our food come from? In my episode last season with Leftovers Foundation, I learned about food waste and the importance of connecting with your food. I wanted to learn more about this topic and take some actionable steps to become more connected with my food. So in today's episode, I invited Marianne Borch from Goodnote Community Farm to speak on homesteading and regenerative agriculture. Goodnote Community Farm is a community farm located outside of Edmonton, sharing food producing knowledge with families and individuals. They host basket weaving classes, homesteading camps, offer garden plots for rent, and much more. Keep listening! Hi, Marianne. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Thank you very much. That's great. As a young girl, were you always interested in working on an ecological farm? Wow, that's a good question. Um, well, as kids, we we had this parents that dreamt of being out of the city. So every single weekend, we were in the bush, either hiking, camping, or chopping firewood, or dreaming of a place. Um, so I, I always wanted to be outdoors and having a lifestyle that allowed for that was always part of my dream. So I did uh, start in zoology. I did a degree in zoology at the university and did a lot of field work with that. That was great fun. But then once I started having my own kids, I wanted to bring them out to this kind of a location and um, I guess communion, we'll call it, with nature, <laughs> some kind of relationship with nature. Um, yeah, tell me more about the land that you have and how you started working on that. I'll tell you where we've landed. Uh, this particular space we're calling Good Note Community Farm. And it started off, we bought it, and it was like four species of grassland that had been planted here 20 years ago for pasture for animals. It had been churned and turned as they do in conventional agriculture and was used mostly for hay and for pasture. So when we came, first thing we did was build a couple ponds and made a riparian habitat. And then from there, we just started uh, making gardens. Gardens, we have community gardens that are no-till, which means we, we don't use a rototiller. We just continuously add compost, which again is coming from the cows and the goats and the chickens and the ducks. <laughs> All of that gets... Um, stacked, churned, left to sit and do its thing for two or three years, and then gets put onto the garden. So everybody that's coming here to garden, we have about 20 families, and uh, they're making food for each other and sharing tips on seed saving and uh, that kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can you tell me more about the practices that you have on the farm to make it more regenerative? The word regenerative agriculture is new to me. 
I guess it's it's good that it's starting to get labels. And so people are starting to be able to refer to it and talk about it more. Um, it's also been known as agroecology or um, ecological agriculture. One of the terms um, in, a, in a different context, I guess, would be permaculture principles. All of it is sort of a mindset on how to look at the land and how to um, make it, make it, how to allow it, I guess is a better way to, to grow in, in a natural way without forcing anything too fast. And that allows it to follow its own natural laws, I guess, basic soil building and nutrient cycling, um, water retention, all of those things happen if you, if you follow these principles. So I guess the main thing is around here is we do no-till for the gardens and we're always adding layers of mulch. So that includes the, the top portions of whatever we're growing that gets laid down on top and um, sometimes we just leave it and, and that collects the snow over the winter and um, allows that melt then to happen naturally in the spring. Um, same thing with uh, leaves falling, just let them stay there and they will normally do their decomposition and become soil for you. So there's that thing. And then that's in the gardens. Then in, in the pastures, um, it's the action of the hooves in the ground. It's the paying attention how much the animals are grazing and leaving a third of what is there to reseed itself and to uh, send out its rhizomes and repopulate the space that's been disturbed by the hoof action. So then you have more um, smaller root spreadings happening and you also get the seed depositing, but you've managed the animals in such a way that they stay put in one place for an intensive grazing episode, we'll call it, two, three days, one place, and then they don't see that place for another three, four months. And uh, when, when they come back to it, or it might even be next year that they come back to it, then it has had a time to rest time that the soil is fed by the crunched, um, the things that they crunch with their feet, and then the things that they munched with their mouths, <laughs> and then the, the stuff that they didn't eat gets to regrow. You were talking about the chickens and how you changed your practices with that. Um, I guess, can you tell us a little bit more about that, especially for the people who've never had chickens or don't know anything about them? Well, I, I feel like um, sometimes I end up sounding a little, oh, I don't know, overly zealous, I guess, about chickens. But um, one thing that I know that consumers are used to at this point is um, a lot of chicken breast and a lot of white meat and a lot of skins off and no fat. And that comes at a cost, one, to the consumer's health, but two, to the health of the planet in creating that kind of a chicken. So the, the broiler chickens that create that kind of meat are designed to not move and, um, and, and just put on mass and do so quickly uh, for, for good reasons. Like they call it economies of scale. And I think that's one of the things that um, somehow we need to change and become more used to redundancies. And uh, you could call it lazy, you could call it waste but you can also call it safe or um, healthy and healthy for the planet too. 
So what I'm getting at is that it all starts with the kind of chicken that you start wanting to eat and the life that that chicken has had. Um, in our case, the chickens that we have, the hens are smart enough to know how to avoid predators. They, they do fly a little bit. They're not just going to sit still. If a hawk flies over, they're going to seek shelter. So to do that, they have to move. And so their, their thigh muscles are really well developed and pretty darn tough when you want to eat them. But they also know how to sit on their eggs. And because they have very little in the way of breast meat, they have a keel bone that they can rest on the ground and the eggs still fit in there and they can sit on them for 21 days and end up with a healthy batch of chicken. So again, using the chicken to incubate is yes, slower because you might only get 12 chickens instead of 500 as you do in an incubator. And I guess that speaks to how much we have grown accustomed to eating and uh, perhaps eating less meat is still an option. However, I will say there is nothing as healthy for you as a good chicken broth soup. So yeah, we still need to have some in our lives, but we do need to uh, be aware of how it's growing. So yeah, our chickens do sit on their own eggs. After 21 days, they raise their own babies. The immune system through chickens isn't like mammals, but they do, um, give their babies that immunity to salmonella so a um and all the other many other diseases so many of those things aren't even an issue when you raise your your chickens outside in the in the sun with grass and real bugs to eat um so yeah the chickens themselves are healthy one of the other main things that um us as consumers our current society has gotten used to is fast foods and not realizing that there's a price to that as well. So that really thick, dense meat that the chicken makes by running around a lot after, after the bugs are away from the hawks or whatever, they're running, they're getting exercise, but that, that tough meat that they're creating needs to be prepared in such a way that um, makes it palatable to us. And that might mean sitting at room temperature for a day. Uh, doing a curing sort of process. It might mean marinating in some sort of liquid, whether that's the leftover whey from your cheese making, or if it's perhaps some apple cider vinegar that you've got on your counter, some sort of acid, maybe it's the tomatoes. Anyways, it sits there and marinates for another 12 to 24 hours. Eventually you get around to cooking it. And that takes five minutes of time thinking ahead 24 hours ahead of the time you actually want to eat that chicken. So that's something that is part of the ecological thinking or the permaculture kitchen, whatever you want to call it. It's um, when, when, you, when you have to cook in such a way that you are also um, using the food uh, that, you've, that you've grown in a way that is both healthy to you, but healthy to the planet. And is this way of thinking that you have, like thinking in advance, like, days. Um, have you been brought up with this or did you have to learn? I had to learn and luckily had chickens that ate a lot of my mistakes. Um, they, they're really good at eating the, the um, well, they're, eat, they're even good at eating rubber chicken, put it that way. But they're, they're also good at eating the, you know, sourdough buns that didn't rise enough or yeah, that bad cheese that I made or whatever. So 
yeah, there's a lot of trial and error, but that's that's just me. That doesn't have to be that way. There, there's other ways of learning. People could actually create a recipe and measure things. I, I, it's just another way of learning. I think I took the slow way. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to measure things either. <laughs> just do it and then it's a mess and you're like, uh, I should have measured. <laughs> but the thing is, let that slow you down, right? And to keep going and to, to be determined to learn one way or the other, you're going to get it eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question, like back to the chickens again, because I'm pretty interested now. Um, yeah. Like, do you know what the difference between like organic chickens or those the chickens that you have in the farm or? I, I don't know for sure, but I know that there are certifications that you can get and that costs them a, quite a bit of money to get that. You, you fill in the forms of what you're feeding, when you're feeding and that sort of thing. And then I think there's even some sort of oversight on that where an inspector will come and make sure that you're following those guidelines. And those would be like no chemicals or no um, no insecticides. There are some guidelines as to what kinds of medicines, whether it's antibiotics or other drugs that you're giving to your animals, those things are also under those guidelines. And so when you're buying that is certified organic, then you know for sure that those chickens don't have any of those things. Um, sometimes it's nice to know also that that chicken has had a nice long life, that it's seen some sunshine in its life, that it's uh, able to raise babies or see a boyfriend or chase a grasshopper. Those sorts of things aren't in those certifications. And um, so I guess one of the things I'd like to see would be more of a connection of the consumer with the producer. And in a perfect world, just more producers, because um, at this point we have 2% of the world and that's actually a little high, but feeding the other 98%. And that is why we're getting all of these um, economic decisions made for the benefit of our, um, our food systems. But those economic decisions aren't necessarily the best decisions for either our health or that of planet as I said so yeah getting more people to make their food even if it's just coming out twice a year to help a farmer that would be fantastic um and I know um that you are doing homesteading and homeschooling for a very long time yeah do you have any funny stories or interesting things that happened in your farm that you like to share oh my goodness it happens like every single time there's some cutie patootie that just ends up having the greatest time and the smiles on their faces when they get that squirt of milk into the pan or they tumble down the side of manure pile <laughs> so funny <laughs> like today there was two boys who came this morning and uh, i had asked them to move the bricks we use bricks to hide to to close off the holes because sometimes we have to um keep the chicks in an enclosure for the first week. And so the bricks are laying all over the grass, all over out there. So I asked these two boys to clean them up and it was too heavy. So they picked up one or two each and it was too much. And I showed them where the wheelbarrow was and they chased each other to get to who was going to get first to the wheelbarrow. And uh, one ended up in the wheelbarrow and the other, the older boy ended up pushing his brother. But yeah, there's, there's stuff like that that happens almost every day here. Wow. It seems like you already had such a busy day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And you at your farm have some opportunities for people to get involved. Uh, would you like to share that with our listeners? Oh, yeah. Well, we have um, a lot of just people that drop by and, and just volunteer, just help. 
they they bring their kids and if they can start coming on a regular basis and um, they'll know where the food is they'll know where the sunflower seeds are to feed the chickens they'll know how to open the the uh, um the water hydrant so that it doesn't freeze and and those are all skills that they get and in the meantime they they drive away with some good eggs or a bunch of zucchini or <laughs> something like that yeah a lot of raspberry plants we're giving away a lot of raspberry plants and yeah so a lot of people do come by for that and uh then we also have some homesteading camps and classes here um one of the things i'm getting into more and more now is basketry so I'm growing a lot of willows and those can then be used to weave into functional baskets and hold our groceries and also sequester carbon at the same time because they're super great at uh, taking in things and growing quickly and get coppiced every year. So that's uh, one of my focuses right now is willows. Yeah, your baskets are really beautiful. <laughs> I would love to learn how to make a basket. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess I have, um, some questions on more of like the regenerative agriculture um, and the difference between permaculture and regenerative agriculture. Is there a difference or is it kind of the same? They're, they're probably very, very similar, maybe coming at it from two different angles. I tend to hear the words regenerative agriculture when people are speaking of grazing and pasture management. And permaculture tends to be used when we talk about um, food forests and um, like vegetable growing, not necessarily annual vegetable growing, but even perennial vegetables like, um, oh, I should call them ashkaban. And, and actually I need to apologize because I've actually never heard that word said, um, but they've been known by, by many people as Jerusalem artichokes, which is an appalling use of that word. But anyways, and then, uh, then people change it to sunchokes. And now I know that their original name is at least written as Ashkaban or Ashkabag, depending on whether you're Ash Anishinaabe or Ojibwa. I actually don't know all these things yet. I'm learning. I'm learning to use the, the native names for um, some of these plants. And yeah, learning to use native plants, getting, getting those um, perennial food plants in a system that's uh, that's part of permaculture. Mm -hmm. Cool. And what do you see are the benefits of permaculture regenerative farming? I guess it all comes down to healthiness, whether it's our own health or that of our planet. Um, I know I keep repeating those words, but that's what I'm all about, I guess. And getting people outside, getting people actively involved with where their food comes from, and starting to understand those natural systems that we have, we have lost um, knowledge of, and getting getting that back. Because I guess one of the things I wish I knew who started this. Maybe it's been said many times that you do not appreciate what you do not know. And I want people to know so they can save and appreciate and do something about it. Yeah, I don't really know anything. So I don't appreciate all the hard work that goes into growing an apple or something like that. Like, I guess we do have an apple tree in the backyard, but we don't have chickens. We don't have cows. I don't know how all that works. Yeah. But even even with your apple tree, if you think of it as a community, the apple tree itself would be the dominant species. And it's there providing roots and, and shelter and space for so many other things. And if you planted things like comfrey 
or lupins or um, things that would use the tree as support, but also benefit the tree in terms of um, nutrients that it's adding to the soil, especially comfrey does that. Um, some, some of the plants that you could plant, and they call these guilds, when you plant in a guild and you have um, many species all together and they're supporting one another and helping one another. And this is part, this is that cool word I love these days is redundancy. Like there's more than one plant doing the same thing but it's making the sum greater than the whole, no, the whole greater than the sum of its parts. That's it. Yeah. And then for people who aren't able to come out to your farm and want to do something more mm -hmm. um, local in the city, is there anything that they can do to kind of learn about where their food comes from or follow more like permaculture practices? Absolutely. Yes. I would highly recommend finding a community garden and you will, uh, I'm sure, find tons of gardeners in there some of them are like only there for five minutes and they have to weed and they have to get home to their kids so they won't have time for you but others might have more time for you and you might want to help them weed and while you're weeding with them they might just give you a carrot or two so that is a, is a great step is just to get outside find those community gardens and if there isn't a community garden there is a city of edmonton uh, process that you can start your own community gardens the other amazing source that um, is happening. I really hope we had to cancel it two years in a row, but Edmonton CD Sunday happens every March. And um, that's a seed exchange, but it's also a place where gardeners come to share their knowledge and their successes and um, failures. <laughs> gardening and it's not just flower gardening, it's all sorts of food making uh, processes. And that is a super resource. There's speakers that come to that. And um, that happens in March. Definitely look up Edmonton CD Sunday. There's the U of A has some community gardens. Um, Nicole and her friends have one called Veg and Yeg, and they are going to be gardening near the Earth's General Store. So that's an awesome garden space to go and help if you can. And um, boy, oh, there's the Northlands Urban Garden, but it's now called something else. I wish I tell you the name, the new name, but oh wait, there's the shrub scriber. That's a great new thing that Dustin Bajer is doing. And uh it's called Shrub Scriber. Um, and you are either a subscriber, you donate money anyways, and then that group is donating food forest type trees to schools and community events. And so they're making food forests all mm -hmm. over the city as well that's a great place to subscriber dustin bader he's amazing yeah yeah i'll add all the stuff in the episode description so everyone can check these out all these community gardens in edmonton cool um if someone wants to learn more about the good notes community farm and sign up for workshops where should they go well there is uh the facebook presence which pretty good and then there's also the website which is www.goodnote.ca and on there there's a little tab and it says when will you visit us and you just hit that and it automatically takes you to this great little app that tells me when you're coming and anyone can come anytime nice and are you still open during the winter time yeah we are but again because of covid everyone has to stay outside these days so Come prepared with lots of warm, uh, warm toes and warm hands. 
and um, yeah, make sure that you're you're planning to be outside the whole time. Yeah, yeah, will do. It's gonna get cold soon. <laughs> Those are all my questions. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, yeah. It's time for a snack fact. Did you know that an apple gives you more energy than coffee? An apple doesn't provide the stimulation that a coffee can, but thanks to its high carbohydrate, vitamin, and mineral content, apples can fuel your body with more energy while helping to stabilize your blood sugar. So next time you want a cup of coffee, maybe try to snack on an apple instead. This snack fact was brought to you by Livestrong.com. And that's it for this episode of That's Food. Today's episode was produced by me, Melania Antoshko, with help from the That's Food team. Thanks so much for Marianne Borch for speaking with us. Our music is by Doug Hoyer. You can find all our episodes on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as on our website, thatsfood.transistor.fm. You can contact us at thatsfood.cgsr.com. We are That's Food CGSR on Facebook and Instagram. That's Food is produced at CGSR in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. But is it food? That's food. That's food. food. No, I messed it up. <laughs> Sorry, I Again. Yeah, I'm not counting down. I'm not counting it down. It's too much.